Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, 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 yes. David will be coming back. <laughs> I, I can feel it. I saw AJ's eyes like, oh, my word. But he is coming back. But did the Lord use David to bless us? Yes, he did. He really did. He really did. How many of you I told to say yes before I asked that? Come on. Did the Lord bless you with David? Ah, you see, thank you for doing that. Well, let's go ahead this morning. As you remember, four weeks ago, I think it was four weeks ago, we concluded our part of the study of God's love by dealing with God's personal love that he has within himself. Remember his intra-Trinitarian love. And you remember what God's intra-Trinitarian love is. You remember this. It is specifically the love that exists within God. Always has because this is an assay. Remember the assayity of God. As God has never been not there and existing He is the only self-existent being. As he is self-existent, what does that mean about his love? It is also self-existent because God's internal or intra-Trinitarian love is the love that is expressed and experienced among the three persons of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so these three divine equal persons live, if you would, in a society or as a society that is defined by love, and it defines love. God is himself the very definition of love. And so when we begin to talk about love, we must, in order to get it correct, we must define it according to God himself and not according to what we believe in what we think as fallen human beings. So this is the love that has been manifested to us, remember, in the incarnation. The purpose of the incarnation was God's activity or God's work to reclaim his purpose in humanity, right? Why did Jesus become, why did the Son of God take on humanity? In order to reclaim, in order to fulfill the eternal purpose of God the Father in giving Jesus the right to create the universe and to create all humanity. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. With that verse, At that moment when creation began to occur, by the power of the Son of God, the Word of God, all things were created by him, remember? And without him was not anything created that was created. John 1, 3. And the moment that, if you would, Jesus spoke creation into being, that set in motion, if you would, the necessity for the incarnation Because isn't it amazing that the God who created also knew that the incarnation would be necessary 
in order to redeem his creation. So as I said a few times before, I understand the, the purpose or the goal which people have when they say, well, had Jesus not died, Pharaoh, we, you can stop there. Had Jesus not died, what? There would have been no creation. Now, I don't, you know, when the preacher says or the teacher says that, don't run, my teacher said that, don't do that. What they're trying to emphasize is the centrality and the necessity of the death of Jesus. But we want to say it correctly, I think, or more clearly than that. So, Beth, had Jesus not died, Beth, you wouldn't have any, and most people say hope. No, you wouldn't have any existence. You would not even have existed. Steve, Jesus not dying, you would not have ever existed. Cody, you would never have been here. Do we get that? So the incarnation is the absolute necessary work of God that he had to do. And he had to do it not because of anything external to himself, but because of his internal, eternal will to have a people who would experience the glory of his fellowship, the glory of the fellowship that exists eternally within the Godhead, that we would participate in that. So you see that in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we may become what? By God's great power, what? Partakers of the divine nature, of the divine character, of the divine fellowship of God. So that's, that's the intra-Trinitarian love that we're talking about. And so Jesus says this in John 14, 9. Remember, Philip says, Jesus, before you go, show us the Father. Let us see God. Philip, have I been with you this long? This long? If anyone has seen me, he has also seen the Father. Now, has he seen the Father visibly, ontologically, in other words, as a person? No. But he has seen the very character. He has experienced the very essence of the character of God, the love of God. Isn't that what Jesus is telling them? Because God does not, God the Father has not taken on a body. He is not ontological, a, a body. Jesus is, the Son is rather. He's taken on a body. So this means that in this man, when we want to know about the love of God, when we want to understand the love of God, when we want to explain the love of God, where must we look? We look at the Old Testament to see it in glimpses and in shadowy forms, right? In part. But when we want to see the love of God fully and gloriously displayed as much as it can be displayed in humanity, where do we look? At the Incarnation at this man, because in this man we see 
the visible manifestation of God's intra-Trinitarian love in a man and on behalf of all God's people. In that man and on behalf of all God's people. And the love that we see in that man, perfected in that man, we will experience it perfected in us on the day of the Lord's return. Amen? Today we're experiencing it bit by bit, a little bit transforming, you know, and it's one of these things that today I experience the love of God a little more than I did yesterday and I'm experiencing and then I fall, whatever. We're experiencing the process today, but then we will experience the product in fullness. Amen? That's what we're looking forward to. And if I don't move along, I'll never finish these notes. I do the notes and I think, ah, that's not much to say. Hmm. This is the love that has been deposited in our hearts. Remember Romans 5, 5. Extremely significant. The love of God. Talking about we exalt in the hope of the glory. Remember the hope. And the love of God, this love of God. And we must get this. That's why I, I am so anxious to pursue it. This love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been what? Given to us. Romans 5, 5, very significant. Every one of us in this room, and I believe every one of us are born again in this room. I don't think if you, I think if you were not, you couldn't take it. Every person in this room, we have the literal love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father, enabled by the love of the Holy Spirit. We have the literal love of God in us. Amen? So let me move along. So during the last three lessons, David has graciously been explaining that God's intra-Trinitarian love has been manifested to us in Jesus, and we call this the what? The extra, outward-going, extra-Trinitarian love. His intra-Trinitarian love is the love that he has within himself. Once he gives it away and begins to manifest it, what do we call that? The extra-Trinitarian love. So that's the distinction of those two words for us. And, and David has been doing this and unpacking this extra-Trinitarian love as he has been um, using 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through verse 8, or at least to the verse, first couple of words in verse 8. You remember that. And what he's done, he's, he's shown us the difference between God's love and our love. And he's defined for us these various aspects of God's love. And quite frankly, I think he did a very good job. I, I think we learned quite a bit. We were able to see uh, exactly what does it mean when it says love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. You know, what do those words, those phrases, those uh, adjectives mean? And so, David, once again, thank you so much. Let me tell you, it's a huge pleasure for me to have 
a man such as David Batten to walk with me. This is becoming, and, and really is now, not the class that Peter Davidson teaches. Think no more that way. This is the class that David and Peter teach together. Amen? So let's make sure we don't define School of the Word as Peter Davidson's class. Let's make we sure we define it, what, as the class that David and Peter walk together in doing this. So this morning, what we want to do is to continue in that direction that David handled in the last three weeks. But just want to elaborate this morning on a few things. This is not a correction. It's an, it's an elaboration. So don't misconstrue it for what it is. When we come to the end of 1 Corinthians 12, you remember 1 Corinthians? Remember all the difficulty. Paul has been dealing with a range of moral, relational, and theological problems. Do you remember 1 Corinthians? I don't want to go into all the details there. I mean, it's this problem and that problem and that problem and don't do this and you're doing that and why are you doing this and you're not doing this right and, you know, and all of these issues that are rampant in this church. And so he comes to the end of chapter 12, and what does he say? What does he say right at the end of chapter 12? Let me show you what? A more better way, more what? Excellent way. Remember that? Let me show you, let me, let me show you how you are to live relationally, how you are to live morally how you are to, you know, minister to one another. Let me, let me, Anton, let me show you what's missing here. Let me show you the root of the problem that you are experiencing. You see, Paul is not willing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not willing that the church just be instructed, Mary, begin to do this better. How many times have I told you, don't do it that way, do it this way? Man, you're hard-headed. You know Mary Turner. How many years have you been in this church, you and Harold? Since what? Since 67. The Trebys have been here the longest, the Turners have been here the longest, and then there's another couple been here the third longest. What was I talking about? I just wanted to see if you're awake. Why doesn't Paul just say, look, Daniel, is that Daniel back there? Yeah, I can't, sometime all this, Daniel, you're doing these three wrong, things wrong. Do it right. Don't do that. Do this. Do the other. Do the other. That's okay to do it that way. But if we leave off, if you would, if we don't set our instruction within the context of what Paul is going to talk about in chapter 13, we are merely making ourselves work for our salvation. Do we get it? Everything we do and everything we are as believers must be grounded in and as a result of and the manifestation of the love of God if it is going to be pleasing to God and manifest the glory of God. It is not, 
the essence is not the work that we do. The essence is the reason we do the work that we do. Do we get that? It is not enough just to be nice to someone. We must be nice to someone for the right reason. And so Paul is going to talk about that. At the end of the chapter, he says, let me show you another way, a more excellent way, and then chapter 13. And David spent the last three weeks defining these issues, especially when Paul gets to verse 4, and they go through the first couple of words in verse 8. Now, why is the church experiencing so many difficulties? If we were to ask, why is the Corinthian church, way at Steve, good to see you, why is the church in Corinth having so much problem, so many problems, why? What would we think, Rosa? They're just not loving. It's not loving to gobble down your food and let somebody else sit next to you and go hungry. Is that loving? No. Is it loving to be running around and doing immoral things? Is that loving? No. So we would say, well, the reason is they're just not loving one another. (laughs) Put it to the test. Ask anyone who knows anything about 1 Corinthians. Ask them what is the essential problem. They're just not loving one another. They need to start what? What? Loving. And what would we tell them? Just start loving one another better. Angel, you just have to love better. Jackie, you just have to love better. Jason, you just have to love better. Clara, love better. Miguel, you have to love more, brother. How many sermons do we hear like this? How many? All the time. They are not incorrect if we are doing it correctly. Do we get that? Now, this is precisely the problem. The problem was that they were loving one another the wrong way. The problem was they were loving themselves too much. Why were the rich people getting there and eating all the food before the poor folks got there? Why? Because they weren't loving the poor folks enough or because essentially they were loving themselves too much, therefore not? Do you see what I'm talking about? Why is this man running around with his what is it? Mother-in-law, whatever it is. Why? Why is he doing that? Because he loves himself, what, Chris? Too much. Why were there schisms in the church? I'm for Paul. I'm for Cephas. I'm for, you know, what? Why were they doing that? Why were they trying to be associated with certain individuals in the church? Why? See, A.J. likes me the best of all the preachers. Did he fall out of his chair yet? (laughs) Why? And I understand we all have our favorites. But you understand, doing it to the extent to create divisions and so on. Eddie, why do we do that? We love ourselves too much. 
The problem in the Corinthian church is not that they are loving, not loving. They are loving. They are loving themselves way too much. I want to make sure, make sure we drum this in because this is at the heart of the issue. David could spend another three weeks and redefining and giving more and more information about what he did. And that's wonderful and lovely. But if we don't get the reason why Paul gives these instructions and gives these examples, we will take all of this and say, okay, it's wrong for me to be rude. Right, Purple? Wrong for me to be rude. What's wrong with it? Because it shows I'm loving myself too much and not loving with God's love. Now, I want us to stop for a moment and think about ourselves. Because every church is a Corinthian church in some way, correct? Right? I mean, I know some of you think we don't have any issues or problems in this church. I understand that. Every church has this problem. All of us, to too much, to too much of an extent, love ourselves too much. And the reason we are is because we are not loving with God's love. And the moment we are not loving with God's love, we are loving ourselves too much because we become the central focus of what we're doing and the reason we're loving. We don't have a capacity in us to love others altruistically. Do you know what that means? With pure motives. We don't have the ability within ourselves to love one another the right way. Do we get that? Do you understand that? Steve, you can't do it. You can't. You just can't do it. And so, sissy, his problem is he can't do it. And neither can you. Pharaoh, you can't do it. You've been struggling all these years. You can't do it. Frustration, anger, bitterness, envy, disappointment. What is all that saying to us? I'm loving myself. The best human love can do is to love itself by helping someone else. Do we get that? The best human love can do is to love myself by extending myself to someone else. You see, because... I'm doing it. It's about me. And if you want a test of this, do something altruistically, you know, out of a good motive, let's say. 
and watch how you feel when no one notices or says anything about it. <clears throat> oh, you may not say something, but inside what? You kind of get that feeling. <sighs> Is everybody with me on this? Do we understand that? And so the problem was in this church, they were loving one another with the wrong kind of love. All of their activities were motivated by what? Love for self. As natural people, we are always and continually motivated by self-love. We can't help it. There's no way I can make myself stop loving out of myself and because of myself and for myself. I can't do it. But we're beginning to get the distinction here and the problem, how deep it is. This self-love constitutes me as a human being. It is my very nature. It is the breath that I breathe. Remember in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is talking to the Ephesian church, and he tells them all the good things. Hey, you've been doing this, you've been doing that, the Nicolaitans, you know, you've been taking care of that. But he says, look, I have a real problem here. What? Are you kidding? We've been doing alpha. We've been having mops. We have senior ministry. I mean, I can go down the line, Donnie, and tell you all the... Not as well as some of the other guys. I can't remember them all. I can tell you all the ministries we're doing here, how many people are in here, how many people are getting saved. Brother, we are going and blowing. I am going and blowing. Man, I'm doing this, and I'm preparing for class, and I'm praying, and I'm reading my Bible, and I treat Jean halfway decently, you know, and, and whatever. And I didn't forget her present for her on Christmas. I don't forget her birthday. And I, man, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What would Jesus say to me? Here's the danger. Those things are not the central issue. You've left your first love. What are you talking about? He says the motivation of what you're doing, the core is not my agape. That's the Greek word for love that is specifically used in the New Testament to define and to describe God's kind of love. Agape. Agape is God's love. I ain't got no agape whatsoever in me, indigenously, by birth, natural birth. All my love is other kinds of love. There are various types of love. We won't go into those. There are essentially six loves that are described by the Greek language. The Corinthians had abandoned their first love and were loving one another with their own kind of love. That's what they were doing. Bruce Ware, lovely theologian, 
defines agape this way. In this agape relationship, the relationship within the Trinity is agape, is defined by agape. Or you could say 1 John 4, 8, God is agape. What? God is what? Love. God is agape. He doesn't have agape. He is agape. Therefore, he agapeos. He loves. This love, this agape relationship, in this agape relationship, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit support one another, assist one another, team with one another, honor one another, communicate with one another, and in everything they respect and enjoy one another. And there's so much more you could say. This is to be the definition of the church. And so what are we going to do? We're going to try harder. Do you hear yourself? I'm going to try harder. Bob, try harder to love Mary. Try harder. Phyllis, do more. What's the problem with it? It's a losing proposition. All it does is create greater frustration and burnout. I don't like the word, but that's the word that apparently is used when we spiritually go up in flames because we're so... No, the reason for burnout is we're not doing the Father's work in the love of God. Not because we're too busy. It has nothing to do with busyness. The most busy man in the world was Jesus, and he didn't experience any burnout. Amen? has nothing to do with this, that. And if you're too busy, and if you are experiencing what they call burnout, then may I propose to you that what you are doing is not in and by and because of and for God's kind of love. Because we cannot live and minister within the context of God's love and ever get burned out. Amen? It can't happen. Now, you can get tired. Jesus got tired and fell asleep in the boat. He was hungry. He had to eat. But we're talking about that soul thing that just begins to grip us. So you see, in our list in 1 Corinthians that David has been expounding for the last three weeks, Paul tells them that they need to be loving with one another with God's agape. Here's the answer to your problems. Agape one another. Well, Wendy, I'm going to try. Do you hear it in you? Come on, do we hear it in us? It is so ingrained in us. It's our breath. It's our spiritual breath to try. Annie, I'm going to do what I can. And I'm going to be much more aware of when I don't. And when I don't, I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to start doing this. And it is just as wrong to stop that and do this, except maybe in a societal way of how you're impacting others. But spiritually, it is just as wrong to do that as it is to try to do this apart from the love of God. Because it's all idolatry. It is all about and for who? Me, don't you see? Me. Here I am. 
Look at me, Lord. I've done this, that, and the other thing. Won't you just please this pee? I mean, isn't that nice? Am I not just so wonderful? Stop trying to agape. Troy, stop trying to agape. Stop trying to agape, Kevin. Stop trying, Clara, to agape. Are we getting it? Stop trying to agape. God's love. And start receiving agape. And we'll begin to talk about that next week. Only by agape is God glorified. I share my glory with none other. Remember in Isaiah, I think it's 43, 5. I share my glory with none, none other. <clears throat> and where is the glory of God preeminently manifested? Or how and where is it preeminently manifested in humanity? Where is the glory? How? In God's agape. Agape one another. And so fulfill the love of Christ. Love one another. And agape works out in phileo, friendship, love, and other kinds. But agape is the seed. It's the core. What we're going to start doing next week is begin to look at how a God a God's, <laughs> how God's agape is to be manifested. And I'd like you to do this in anticipation. I think we'll get to these verses next week, but you never can tell. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 is not a definitive list, but it is a list of God's kind of love as expressed to us. So it is a list of God's extra Trinitarian love some of which David has covered in 1 Corinthians, and Paul has said it in Galatians. Remember, Galatians was written way before Corinthians. But when you read these nine words, the fruit of the Spirit is, and you have nine words. When you read those, <clears throat> I want you to read them this way. And to me... It's just overwhelming. These nine words, especially the first word is the word, and then the rest eight describe the first word. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. And then we'll talk about the next eight describe agape. They're facets. But when you look at this, here's the amazing thing, Chris. What we see in this, this list is the absolute amazing and breathtaking condescension and deference and humility of God. And we must see that. We must see the heart of God's love. As expressed to us in, in uh, uh, expressed to us in Christ, there's the heart of God's love. Is condescension. Is deference, deferring, 
the word humility has those two words in it. Obedience, giving. Those words are descriptives of that attitude of God as expressed in Christ. Let this attitude be in you. Remember in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Remember that? And I want you to read these verses and stop and think about the deference, the condescension, the coming down, the lowering, the humility, the sacrificial giving of this God so that we could be his children. See you next week.